It was letting go of relationships. It was moving away from the belief structures that I felt caused more separation than they did love and connection. And it was really finding life for myself and understanding that I did have autonomy over my life. I was capable of making decisions for myself. I was gifted dreams from a source that wasn't judgmental and restrictive, but benevolent and wanted a full expression of the life I was given. At the top of Leah's website on her About Me page, it says, Soul Advisor, Best Selling Author, Entrepreneur, Truth-Telling Sagittarius, World-Class Hugger, and Travel-Loving Sweat Junkie. I once was lost, but now I'm free. Oh my gosh, did I feel connected to every word in this little paragraph. I instantly felt connected to her in the vibe of Leah's page, her social media. So you can imagine my excitement when she accepted the invite to be a guest on the podcast. Welcome to The Safe Haven, a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life. Real connection feels so good, and it's the kind of thing that lights my soul on fire. Leah's story is woven with a constant and deep drive to chase her soul's desires. She's created a career and a life that revolves around helping people live their truest expressions of themselves. Leah helps people establish new habits and new patterns while severing ties with the detrimental old ways that we all hold ourselves back. The real struggles and life experiences that Leah brings into her work with her clients helps elevate her empathy to such a powerful level. As she continues her journey and transformation, she's moved a lot. So the conversation with Leah starts with me asking her for the Coles Notes version of her moving. (laughs) Yeah. So take me on a little bit of a journey. I mean, give me some Coles notes of your life. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, there's, there's a lot to pack in, but in the last three years, especially it's been a lot of moving. I've lived in actually in the last two years, I've lived in three provinces in two years. So it's been moving around a lot. And right now where I am in Vancouver is, it has been the final destination for a long time, but it took quite a while for me to get here. And I'm so happy and so grateful mm-hmm. to be making Vancouver my home base. Where in Vancouver? I'm in North Vancouver. Nice one. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so special. It's so special. So what was the pull out there? Uh, well, actually, I spent some time growing up um, in Coquitlam, which is in the lower mainland, so maybe about 20 minutes outside of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And we moved there partway through my middle school years. We were only here for a few years, mm-hmm. but there's something about the mountains. There's something about the vibe in BC that has been calling me ever since. So mm-hmm. when my parents moved back to Ottawa when I was starting high school or uh, in the middle of high school, um, there was always this draw, this like deep desire of wanting to go back to the mountains. Um, But my life took a little bit of a detour. I stayed in Ottawa for a while and then um, built a life there and eventually was able to make the move um, really just recently to come back here. So Mm -hmm. here I am. Oh, I hear you. The mountains have been pulling me there for years and I'm going to be making my way out there very shortly. So I get it. So exciting. Yeah. So alluring. 
Yeah. There's like a steadiness and a grounding energy that is like supercharged over here. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that you just said energy because I have so many questions about this. (laughs) So I can't even remember exactly where I saw some of your posts originally on Instagram, but I remember seeing your page and being like, oh, I dig this. I love this. (laughs) The soul advisor at the top and the mindset coach live free lifestyle, all of these things, I was just hooked. And Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to tell me how that all started. Well, it's been a journey. How much time do we have on this podcast? (laughs) Well, (laughs) we can have repeat visits. (laughs) So this all really started about six years ago um, with a identity crisis, really. Mm. Um, I had gotten to a place in my life um, where I had everything that I thought I wanted. I was married. Um, We had just built our second home. We were starting to expand our travel. And I felt so empty. I had reached so many of the goals and accomplishments that I had set out for myself or that quote unquote society had set out as the checklist to follow. Mm -hmm. And I just got to a point where I was like, why do none of these things feel good? Why am I not happier in, in these accomplishments? And it was really a realization that I had built my life, my entire foundation on a set of belief systems that were not my own, but that had been the patterns that I had seen around me. And I just adopted them as my own, but really deep inside within myself, my soul, what I call it, or my truth was longing for something completely different. So at the age of 30, I basically restarted my life from scratch and went searching for a deeper connection with myself instead of using exterior validation as my way of life. And so this journey took me through, I went through therapy, I went through um, yoga trainings, through energy healings, through a lot of my own personal development work, research, um, training, and mentorship, and spiritual work as well. And I've combined all of that into the work that I do now to help women um, who are undergoing similar roadblocks or crises in their life to find their truth so that they can build a life that feels good in their soul and one that is really an example and an expression of their truest, fullest, most authentic self. That is so beautiful, Leah. Yeah. So had you, I guess, well, I guess now on a timeline. So how long ago, I mean, you said that you were 30, so, or when you were 30. Mm -hmm. So how old are you now? I'm 36. 36. Okay. So through this process though, Mm -hmm. even pre 30, had you had anything that worked you through a coaching sort of career or is this something that all came throughout your own healing journey and identity, the identity crisis that you're saying? It all really came out of this deep sense of crisis and this need for healing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do believe that our lives give us everything we need for us to live our mission. And Mm -hmm. I feel like at this time in my life, I'm really, truly living my purpose and my mission in the world. Mm -hmm. And what started out with my early years and my early development of being raised in a really restrictive, some would call it a cult, um, religious organization was the foundation that allows me to have an empathy and a clear understanding of what it takes to really reprogram deep-seated beliefs and create an entire belief system and structure for yourself that is self-empowering instead of self-limiting. So 
while it's six years of actual work and research and study and training that have gotten me to the point of having a book about um, the entire process and coaching women across the world, my entire life has been building up to this. Because I really believe that um, the way we see the world, we kind of work in polarities on this planet. We know how hot something can be because we also know how cold something can be. So I can understand how lost someone can feel having been there myself. Mm -hmm. And then I also understand what it truly means to find a deep connection with your soul, with your truth and, and live in that capacity as well. Mm -hmm. I wanted to back up a tiny bit before you were 30, what were you doing career wise? I was actually a dental hygienist for many years. Yeah. So I went to school for dental hygiene um, because to me, it was a job that would let's be honest, it was going to pay me really well. And I didn't have to do that much school for it. So it was, it was giving me the life that I thought I wanted. It was um, something that would let me help other people, which was a really big motivating factor for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt proud to be a dental hygienist. So I did that for about five years. And as the universe would have it, I developed a neurological condition that ended my career. So I ended up losing my sense of identity, which I had really tied into my job um, because I could no longer work. I had nerve damage in my hands that prevented me from holding my instruments. And that was really the first bit of realization of me. I'm not focusing on the right things in life, but it was still too scary for me to dig deeper into that. So this all happened about, um, I was 27, 26 or 27 when this disability onset. And then I wasn't able to work for a number of years after that. So it had started me kind of questioning, who am I if I'm not my job? I know I'm not necessarily just a dental hygienist, but I didn't have a sense of self outside of that. So it plummeted me pretty quickly into a a depression. Yeah, I don't doubt that. What was your neurological condition or how did that come on? Uh, this is still a mystery actually to my neurologist, my, um, physiatrist and the doctors who helped me through it. Um, it's called ulnar neuropathy. So it's an impingement of the ulnar nerve, which is the, it starts at the back of your neck. It runs and innervates the last two fingers on your hand. So your pinky finger, the way you can, I describe it best is like, if you hit your funny bone and you get that obnoxious, like zing feeling Mm -hmm. into your pinky finger, that's basically what developed and what was a chronic condition for many years. So it started off really subtly with just like some tingling and numbness and then started to create weakness in my hand. And then on top of that, I was in a snowboarding accident and broke the the hand that was um, already having neurological issues and it just compounded it and it became a permanent condition, which in most cases usually heals, but I still actually have... um, trouble with it to this day so oh my gosh yeah that's that's a lot in in quick time as well and I mean so you were saying about how the neurological condition had shifted so much about what you were even able to do you had to take some time Mm -hmm. off of work so that was kind of the catalyst into this identity crisis and this journey to find what actually made you who you are Mm -hmm. so it started me off with um a lot of my productivity or a lot of my value I felt came from what I was able to produce. So I was the primary breadwinner between my husband and I, I 
was um, a really good producer in the dental clinic that I worked at. And so much of my sense of self was tied up to what I could do and how I did it, um, that it really did kind of throw me for a loop where I was like, shit, now what do I do? And I, it was the first time I had gone to chapters. It's funny, we were talking before um, pre-recording about how, how much you love chapters. It was like my favorite store. And I'd always like get my coffee at Starbucks and go to like the cooking or the design section (laughs) and just kind of laugh at the people in the self-help section being like, oh, those poor souls. And (laughs) (laughs) then I ended up at this place where I was like, I don't, I don't actually know who I am or what I want or what I'm doing. And I think there might be something in that section that could help me. So I bought a self-help book. I read it. Um, I got some pretty good insight, but I didn't do anything about it. I was like, cool, that sounds like too much work to like (laughs) have hard conversations, to dig a little bit deeper, to start a meditation practice. It just seemed like too much. Mm -hmm. So instead of actually making changes, I just thought, I'm going to go back to what I already know and double down on that. So maybe if I'm more dedicated to my religion, maybe if I'm a better housewife, or maybe if I entertain more or keep myself busier, then I won't have to deal with these things that I feel like need attention, but I'm too afraid to look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Turning inward takes a lot. You mentioned a yoga teacher Mm -hmm. training as well. I know that that Mm -hmm. in itself is such a transformative experience. Totally, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the first things that I did that was like an alternate version of introspection. It wasn't sitting in a room or journaling. It was like, at least I can move my body and and do cool things. So mm-hmm. I did my first um, yoga teacher training in Ashtanga, which is a really physical sort of um, repetitive practice, and really fell in love with it and wanted to know more about the deeper side of it, the spirituality, mm-hmm. the energetics, the um, self-study that accompanies what most people consider yoga as just bending your body. Um, I wanted to go beyond the physical version of it. And when I did, that's when things really started to open up. I started to understand how I storing energy in my mm-hmm. body and different postures would create certain reactions or bring up memories or trigger anger. And that to me was so fascinating. And that's what kind of propelled me forward into my studies. And it's almost like a rabbit hole. Once you get into it, you Mm -hmm. just keep going. So Mm -hmm. it started with yoga and then more personal development work, more spiritual work, more energetics. And it really took me breadcrumb by breadcrumb on the journey that led me to creating the work and the program that I I run right now. So when did you start... Or when would you say that you titled yourself or labeled yourself as a soul advisor and actually started your own practice as a coach? Uh, That would probably be about two years ago. Um, I was having a really hard time trying to define what I did Mm -hmm. because it wasn't quite life coaching. It wasn't like relationship coaching. What I was doing was really not telling people how to live, but helping them reconnect to their soul. Mm-hmm. So the way I saw it, and the soul advisor is actually a made up name that I gave I to it. myself because it, it clearly, to me anyways, defined what I do. And so the same way a financial advisor will um, give you certain recommendations on where to invest your money and how to like move things in the long term or give you sort of a pathway to create financial freedom I do the same sort of thing by working people through their goals, their their desires, 
their emotions, creating boundaries and a certain pathway and framework so that they can reach this place of soul freedom so that they're living from what I consider the truest part of yourself or your soul and allowing that to be the guide of your life instead of the shoulds and what everybody else is doing and all of the noise that we hear outside. So um, as a soul advisor, it's my work to help people reconnect to their own truth and allow that to be their guiding force in their life. Mm -hmm. It's a really powerful thing, especially to dedicate your life. And, And you've mentioned the word purpose as well. Is mm-hmm. just to actually start to formulate that and then put it into practice. I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. It's a it's a process for sure. Yeah. What have been some of your own personal challenges kind of throughout this, even establishing your own business? Um, I like to think that entrepreneurship and business is actually a really spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's very deep introspective work because you're confronted with all your own shit. You're mm-hmm. taking a part of yourself and you're offering it to the world. Um, and all of your vulnerabilities come up in the, in light of that. And so for me, it was even getting to a place of being able to express myself was mm-hmm. a huge, huge challenge. I was working with a coach um, several years back who is now a dear friend of mine. And she kept telling me at the time I had a jewelry business and I was like doing like little workshops and stuff with Lululemon and just starting to get out there and speaking to people about energetics and introspection and meditation and that sort of stuff. And we would have these really great calls and she's like, you, you're a writer, like you have something within you to share. And I remember being like, Oh my God, there's no way I would ever like share that part of myself. And she actually was first person to really sort of push me to like create a blog post. And even that was like a, a terrifying endeavor for me. So my very first blog post, I think I was, I, mean, I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe. And it was such a nerve wracking experience. And to now be, have like a book that has become a bestseller on Amazon and to really share from the depths of my soul has been a major journey of unlearning and reprogramming my own limiting beliefs so that I could get to a place to even acknowledge that there's something of value to share and then to share it itself. Um, there's a lot of, of personal limitations that need to be overcome to be able to mm-hmm. step fully into the experience of whatever it is you're meant to share with the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Call me crazy. When you were saying limiting beliefs, as you were saying limiting beliefs, I was finishing the S of beliefs with my pen on my piece of paper. <laughs> so that is so cool because that was actually going to lead me into the next one was actually asking you because you're absolutely right. You're peeling back so many layers, right? And you're mm-hmm. being confronted with all of these different things. But when our own narratives start to come to the surface and we have to confront those and dig into why we actually have those narratives or limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. that is a process. Yeah, it's not it's it's not just a oh, I think maybe I yeah. self-sabotage. There's a why beneath the yes. why beneath the why. And it all begins so early um and insidiously that we don't even realize it. We just think, "Oh, that's who I am. I'm just this kind of person. I'm just someone who doesn't want to talk about things or I'm just this person who doesn't want to share things." But there's a part deeper within us, like our soul that is calling us for this expansion, mm-hmm. and that's where we have this tension between fully expressing ourselves and living our truly fully expressed life and then settling. And there's such a discomfort in that tension, in that holding back that most people don't recognize. And they just think, oh, I mean, this is life. 
life is meant to be big and enjoyable and experiential, but we often limit ourselves of what we're able to experience, including the highs and the lows, Mm -hmm. um, because we have the programs of like keeping ourselves small, getting through unscathed, not making too much of a fuss or drawing too much of of an attention to ourselves out of a certain fear that's living within our, our bodies. So in what ways have you shrunk yourself either to fit in or to just be more comfortable? Oh my gosh. I feel like the first 30 years and even now, sometimes I'll catch myself being afraid to fully step into something because of an old program. But um, growing up, like I kind of mentioned at the outset, I was raised in a really restrictive religious upbringing that basically... um, teaches you to doubt yourself. Like you don't like as humans, we're apparently not capable of creating lives of purpose and meaning for ourselves outside of this subservient relationship to a God who is punishing and judgmental and requires our strict obedience to a certain set of laws. So just in that construct, I had created an entire system in my mind of like, this is what it means to be a good person. This is what it means to be a bad person. Anything that I have as a sense of um, innate longing for a bigger life or something outside of the parameters of the good and bad construct of the religion was something that would um, instill a lot of fear because if you cross that boundary, you're cast out of the entire community. Mm -hmm. Not only just the community, but God's also real pissed at you. So Mm -hmm. it creates this sense of like very sheltered obedience and this um, denial of questioning of anything. If you question, it means you don't have faith. And if you don't have faith, then that means there's something wrong with you. So guilt and shame coming from that sort of upbringing was a huge um, limiting factor for even just the dream that I had for myself. And dreams aren't something that we can even control. Like we'll have this sense of like, oh, I really want to experience this. And it's when your dreams from your soul, it comes from a place beyond your mental mm-hmm. construct. They don't make sense. Um, it's not something that you can necessarily harness or stop. And growing up in a space or in an environment that doesn't encourage or support any sort of autonomous dreaming in that sense, you really have to limit and settle for the only thing that you think you can have, which is in this little box of the religion that you grew up in. So that was one way that I had all of these barriers and limiting beliefs. And then also as far as um, making my decisions in life were all kind of based on this chain that I had of consulting these belief systems. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that you need to be raised in a cult or it doesn't mean that you need to be raised um, in a specific environment or circumstance for you to start creating these mental constructs or these beliefs about what's available to you to begin with. It could be somebody on the bus who um, doesn't like what you're wearing and that makes you afraid to ever wear something that you really feel good about because you'll be judged. Like we Mm -hmm. create these belief systems by our experiences at a very, very young age. So we all have these limiting beliefs that we don't even realize are keeping us from the things we want most. Mm -hmm. 
When you were making these shifts and these changes and pulling back from the church and the just the rigidity that that had kind of put into your life, did you lose or break some pretty mega ties within your community and your family? Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have been really, really confronting or very difficult to deal with. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. And I think the reason I stayed in it for so long was because I was afraid of yeah. making waves. Yeah. And it just got to a point where I was like, I... I would rather confront the pain of these confrontations than Mm -hmm. deal with the pain of, of keeping myself stifled for another, however many years. And it was really just this moment. I call them oh shit moments where you're like, oh shit, I have a big, like a portal of change is opening right now. And I have a big choice to make. I either continue the way I'm going or I do the scary thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not the first time I'd had a moment like that where I was like, what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose to do the thing that everybody expects that's comfortable, that doesn't change anything? Or am I going to do the thing that feels alive and inspired and expanded? Mm -hmm. And there's always like a moment where you have to take a leap through that threshold or the door closes and then it doesn't come back around for another few years. So um, yeah, incredibly confronting. But the first part of it was really allowing myself to think outside of the confines of the religion. So Mm -hmm. even just being open to what would it look like if I didn't go to church tonight? Because I really don't want to. And the guilt isn't enough to keep me going anymore. It had Mm -hmm. like run its course. Um, So that was the first part of it. And as soon as I started to question how much I was buying into the religion, which I wasn't buying into it very much. It was simply that it was all I knew. Everybody that I knew that I had grown up with my entire life was based in this. So to step outside of it felt really scary Mm -hmm. because we were taught that outside is like certain death, essentially, or you're never coming back from it. So it started with that. And once I was able to let go of the beliefs that didn't feel aligned, they hadn't felt aligned ever, But once I was able to let those go, then it opened up the possibility for other things. And so it was the religion went first. And then I started looking around and I was like, "Uh oh, I've built my whole life around this. Like Mm -hmm. the job that I chose, the husband that I married, even though he was a really amazing person, it was a relationship that was chosen out of a belief that this was all that was available. There was no other way of living. Mm-hmm. So one at a time, as I started letting go of those beliefs that weren't mine and really tuning into what was aligned with myself, it was letting go of relationships. It was moving away from the belief structures that I felt caused more separation than they did love and connection. And it was really finding life for myself and understanding that um, I did have autonomy over my life. I was capable of making decisions for myself. I was gifted dreams from a source Mm -hmm. that wasn't judgmental and restrictive, but benevolent and wanted a full expression of the life I was given. So it was a process of unlearning and then remembering who I really was. Because when we come into the world as kids, we're so connected We just learn to disconnect from that, to fit into places, like to Mm -hmm. fit in as in a family or in a culture or in a society or in a religious organization or in a a community, in a neighborhood. We buy into all of these constructs that are around us without even knowing. Mm -hmm. 
In the process of severing these ties and making these decisions for yourself and following your own authenticity, some family relationships, it sounds like, were in jeopardy as well. How did you navigate that? That was more challenging. But my older sister had already left the church years and years ago. Um, And so I had that connection. I had a really strong connection with my younger brother. And my mom was, my mom is just, she's an earth angel, essentially. Mm. I feel that she had some of her own um, thoughts about things. And she understood where I was coming from. But it's, it's a rare occurrence in that community for parents to still maintain connection and conversation with their children who leave the church. Um, for instance, my, my in-laws who I loved so much, they were my second family. I was, wasn't able to maintain a relationship with them, Mm -hmm. but I do also want to say that the relationships that you create, um, are based on how you present yourself. And it's, it's a reciprocation of two people. So the way I was showing up for the people who were in that community wasn't my full authentic self. And so naturally there was a disconnect between who I was and who they were, and it didn't match. And the relationships that I have now are so much deeper and so much more profound and so much more authentic because I'm actually authentic. So it's a completely different um, dynamic that's created when you start showing up differently. But I have to say, in that instance, I was really lucky that my family um, was... I wouldn't say my mom was like super supportive. She was like, whoa, 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 but there's good things here. And I was like, yeah, okay, there might be some good things. There's a lot of not so good things. And this is what I need for myself. And this feels true to me. And she supported it 100%. And we have an amazing relationship. Same with my Mm -hmm. siblings. My father is still um, pretty associated with the church. And we have a challenging dynamic apart from the church, just a challenging dynamic in um in growing up, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a hard relationship to find balance in. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a relationship so much right now, but, um, it was navigating it with an understanding that I would rather be true to myself than have to sacrifice myself to make other people happy or to make other people like me. And that's a choice that everybody has to make at a certain point. Because every relationship outside of ourselves will end in some capacity. Mm-hmm. There, people will change, people will move, people will die. But the relationship that you have with yourself is the only one that you are with the entirety of your life. And so mm-hmm. if I couldn't honor that for myself, I got to a point where I, I realized like that, what would be the point? Well, it takes such courage to continue choosing yourself first. Mm -hmm. And there are so many societal messages that tell you that's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. So until you start surrounding yourself with people that share that belief Mm -hmm. and your values need to, to align with a person in order to have such a constructive conversation. But Mm -hmm. my gosh, the messaging that just surrounds us all the time is telling us, you know, exactly what you were saying about how it's, whether it's the structure of a church that you're in or whether it's sticking by close to home because your family needs you or gosh, like even just going to school because it's the mm-hmm. right thing to do or totally. societal messaging that's telling us it's like, 
exactly how our life should go on a timeline from, exactly. you know, school, get a degree, get a job, find a husband, have children, make babies. Like, yeah, it's the checklist, things, right? Yeah. Yes. It's simplify. It's like trying to simplify this gift that we're given into like relegating into a few boxes of like, if you do this, 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 and this, you should be happy. But so Mm -hmm. many people and a lot of the women that I work with are really driven women who have nailed the checklist. They've like, okay, done all this stuff. Why do I feel empty? And it's because Mm -hmm. that's not their soul checklist. That's not their purpose. That's not what they, that's not all that they came to accomplish in this world. And I think the collective is shifting in a way that people are wanting more we're not satisfied so much anymore with just doing the nine to five and having like our lives predicted for us. Our life is meant to be an experience and an expansion. And within the framework of a checklist that everybody gets kind of issued of like house, car, babies, whatever it is, people are realizing that there's a disconnect between their authentic truth and that checklist. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to challenge it. It's hard to stand up and it's a, it's a radical form of rebellion to really be yourself in a world that tells you you need everything else outside of yourself to be successful. Mm -hmm. If you ever fall off of that, what helps bring you back to center? If you ever start kind of doubting yourself, and it sounds like you've got some pretty solid practices and Mm -hmm. belief systems in place now Mm -hmm. that help you navigate challenges, but what helps you reset? Um, I don't think doubt ever really goes away. If you're living and you're growing and you're expanding, you're always going to come up against a new obstacle or an unknown that you're going to have to be like, okay, you have to like talk yourself through it. So mm-hmm. um, I'm glad that you asked that question because it's not an invincibility pill that you take where you're like, okay, cool. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. doesn't mean you're never going to get triggered or challenged. But um, the practices that I do, I recommend to all of my clients and everybody actually is to find a way or a ritual that you can start your day connected to yourself. So I teach journaling and meditation as a way Um, to do that. My morning ritual is coffee, journal, meditate. I'll let the thoughts that kind of the first sort of thoughts that are moving through me out onto a piece of paper. I'll sit in silence for 15 minutes, which is the usual right now because things are a little bit busier um, work-wise. But if I can sit longer, I love to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just really get centered in myself instead of and I do do this sometimes and I, I know that I notice the difference immediately instead of like, I call it the roll and scroll where you roll over in bed, grab your phone, and like scroll through Instagram mm-hmm. before you get out of bed. That mm-hmm. starts your day off with like other people's shit flying in your face. And yeah. that's again, that messaging of like, you need to do this. You should be doing this. This is better, blah, 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 and all of that stuff. But if you can resist that temptation and train yourself to tune inward and say, what do I need? How do I want my day to go? Where is my energy? Where are my thoughts at? How did my sleep affect me? Whatever's all of this stuff. Cause we're constantly getting information and feedback from our own energetic and inner guidance system. The more you can get used to tuning into that to start off your day, the better off you're able to navigate your day you're still going to have moments where you have like a freak out or you start to spiral. And again, it's the most important thing is to realize that you have the capacity to find peace in any moment. If you come back to the present moment, we get like so off track when we're thinking about the future or we're like longing for the past. If you can bring your attention back into the present moment, then you're able to affect change. So 
I teach my clients one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, closing down your eyes, and then feeling your breath move into your body. So drawing your inhales in really deeply so you can feel your belly and your chest rise. And then as you exhale fully and completely and slowly, you feel that contraction again. And just a few of those long, slow, deep breaths really shifts your nervous system into a state of calm and steadiness instead of the fight or flight or anxiety that you stir up for yourself when you're trying to predict the future or you're trying to change the past where you have no control. Yeah, that's so true. I, I've even had <laughs> through some of the courses that I've taught each, even teaching high school, I've kind of worked through some of those little breathing practices with the students or whether you're mm-hmm. counting and just using your fingertips to just kind of count your breaths, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's so true how the one thing that you can always come back to is your breath. Mm-hmm. Totally. I love how you mentioned as well, the roll and scroll is a great, great term, <laughs> by the way. I've never <laughs> heard that, but it's so true. Yeah. Um. But even, oh, I can't remember where I heard this, something about the first 10 thoughts that come into your mind are basically what help you navigate your day. Mm. And if you can control those 10 thoughts, you're, you're more likely to have a better day. Mm-hmm. So same thing is too, is you're going to have the things that are the residuals. You're going mm-hmm. to have your own things that you know you have on your agenda, that you know mm-hmm. you have to work through, that you might be going through a breakup or you might've just lost your job or so-and-so's having a baby or so-and-so just got engaged and you were engaged last year, but had to call that off. Like there's so many mm-hmm. things that come up mm-hmm. naturally with everything that happens in our life. But you're absolutely right. I love that so much. And I have so much value in that, that if you can control how you start your day. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, does that filter so much? It makes such a big difference. And the power of meditation, it's not um it's not to like stop all of your thoughts. And I know a lot no. of like my students were like, wait, I don't I can't. Like I just can't, I can't meditate. And I'm like, yeah. well no shit. Like if you could, then you wouldn't need to meditate. But it's really getting getting a clear understanding of what those repetitive thoughts are because 90% of the thoughts that we think are the thoughts that we thought the day before. It's really just like a regurgitation of the same stuff. So when you can start to sit and quiet and just observe what kind of stories are passing through, like whether or not you're hung up on this thing that this one person said like five days ago, or mm-hmm. whether you're constantly worrying about what so-and-so is going to say if you do this thing, you get mm-hmm. an idea of where your mind is focused, whether it's focused on the past or it's focused on the future. And you can start to learn the tricks of your mind that are keeping you in these repetitive loops and cycles. And that's mm-hmm. the power of meditation. It's not to stop your thinking. It's no. to get to know your thinking. It's to understand this raging computer that we have that can be the greatest <laughs> tool or our, our biggest obstacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the brain is wired to think. It mm-hmm. needs to think. That's how it. That's how we survive. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right. Is acknowledging those thoughts, just thinking about what you don't think in meditation, obviously, but you're just acknowledging what you're thinking about and trying to establish those patterns, or at least bring an awareness to what it is you're thinking. Totally. about. Totally. And our minds, like connected, exactly like you said, it's connected to our nervous system in like survival mode. It's meant mm-hmm. to carry out tasks for us. It's not meant for our evolution. It's not meant for our greatest expression. It's really binary. It's like, is this safe or not safe? And it relates Mm -hmm. that back to all of our old programming. Our souls, on the other hand, are what are calling us forward to be like, yo, you were meant to do this big thing, or these are your gifts. This is your purpose. This is what you're here Mm -hmm. to do on the earth. And it's often in contrast or in conflict with 
the stay safe and small and don't do anything too crazy because you might not survive it. So it's learning to find balance between the two and use your mind and understand how your nervous system works so that it can support your evolution and expansion. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love this conversation. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I have, um, I have three safe haven style questions for you that I'm going to throw at you. You ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. What are you most proud of? Mm, I love this question because it's new for me to be proud of things, um, to be able to stand in it and be like, no, I'm really proud. Um, I'm proud of the work that I do in the world, not only for the women that I serve, but also that I've, I've done it for myself because it's not easy. It's not easy work. So I'm proud Mm. of, um, exactly where I am in my life right now. Mm. That's so good. (laughs) What do you want to be known for? Ooh, um, Oh, I like this question. I want to be known for being a loving and full expression of a soul on earth. I want to be an example of what it looks like to live freely and authentically and as connected as possible to both the human aspect of living, but also the higher, more divine aspect of it as well. Mm -hmm. No big deal. No small, small, small fry here. (laughs) I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. (laughs) But you know what? That pressure is ultimately what's going to keep you moving too. Mm -hmm. Like holding Mm -hmm. high expectations for yourself is, I think it's a really special thing. There's that fine line though, right? Between Mm -hmm. holding high expectations and expectations that lead to disappointment. Totally, totally, totally. So that's like the balance between I'm a human, like I'm a a soul in a meat sack. So there's two components here, (laughs) trying to find the balance between the two. Um, yeah. <laughs> as so, do you say a soul in a meat sack? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I've never heard that. I got to adopt that one too. I like the roll and scroll and the soul in a meat sack. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I, I actually just added one. Mm-hmm. I added another one. Okay. There is a lot going on mm-hmm. in the world right now. Mm-hmm. There are some massive shifts Yeah. There is such momentum. Mm -hmm. If someone asked you, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. How are you doing? Right now in this moment, I am doing well. Um, I'm doing well because I feel like I can see that we're moving towards something. Um, The same, I don't have kids, but I can imagine the same way that somebody going through labor pains is going to feel the contractions is going to feel that pressure and that pain. Um, there's little bits of respite in between where there's a bit of breath that you can catch. And then there's another contraction. It feels like we're in this birthing process of a higher consciousness of a higher state of coming together, even though it feels like hell right now, um, in a lot of places, and there's a lot of suffering and struggle and a lot of reorganization that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. I am really connected to, a sense of the other side of things. So a higher elevation of consciousness for everybody, even just going through pain already enlightens you to the possibility that there's something on the other side of it. So, um, I'm navigating and I'm, I'm actually feeling like I'm doing well for sure. There was times where I was like really rocked and I was like, man, I don't know about this. Like, Mm -hmm. come on people. Mm -hmm. we need to do better. But I do believe that 
we're moving towards that. How have things been through this in Vancouver? Um, pretty chill. To be perfectly honest, I moved here like in the middle of the pandemic. I was traveling all winter um, in Thailand and in Bali. And I landed in Vancouver at the end of like right at the beginning of March mm-hmm. um, and then decided I wanted to live here. So I flew back to Toronto, got all my things in storage at my mom's and then drove back. And I'm just really happy to be here. Like I'm in mm. this incredible apartment that I'm obsessed with. I'm surrounded by trees. Um, so for me, nature has been just so healing and so incredible. So if I can go out for a run in the woods, if I can just like be in the mountains, I'm cool with that. Things are starting to open up here and I'm getting to see friends and like connect with people and it's feeling really good. But, um, yeah, the energy seems to be not as frantic or panicked. Um, it, Mm -hmm. it feels pretty chill. So that's my take on it anyways. I know (laughs) West coast, best coast. (laughs) Oh, honestly, I know. Okay, so my last one for you is if you had a message for everyone listening, Mm -hmm. what would it be? Hmm. That it is totally possible to live the life that you imagine for yourself, even if it doesn't seem like it's possible. Um, Inside each and every one of us is like the programming to be able to tap into our truest self and allow that to be the full expression of our life. So if there's a dream, if there's an ambition, if there's a goal that is inside of you, it's because it's meant for you to carry it out. And it's totally possible for you to do it. Um, I think more people need to hear that it's not crazy to believe in your dreams. More people need to hear that they're not alone in pursuing them. And that we're far more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. If we can look inside and find that within ourselves, then we realize that everybody is capable of it. And that's, I think, how the world is going to start to shift when everybody can find that wholeness and alignment within themselves and their true power. Then we won't need to like keep others down or keep others as separate or, or, um, yeah, oppress or anything like that. Then we'll be able to all have an experience of being souls and meat sacks, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) The magic and the humanity of it all. Yes. Leah, I (laughs) cannot wait to meet you. I'm coming for you. I am so excited. (laughs) You are going to be greeted with the biggest hug. Yeah, game on. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for your time. I want to make sure that I get your your social media stuff. So where can people Mm -hmm. find you? Share your website, all of those good things. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me at leah.brathwaite on Instagram. Um, My website is leahbrathwaite.com. There you'll be able to find my mentorship program called The Live Free Lifestyle. Um, You'll also be able to find my book, which is called A New Way of Life, A Guide for Transformation from Living a Lie to Freeing Your Soul. And I would love to connect. So find me on Facebook, send me, or or on Instagram, send me an email. And yeah, those are me. Be sure to have all of those things linked at the bottom as well. So you can find them easily. Amazing. Thank you so much for this chat. Thank you. You are just such a doll. I loved it. It was so fun. (laughs) Leah, 
Thank you so much for jumping into this adventure with me as a guest on The Safe Haven. It truly means the world to me, and the love and compassion with which you speak is positively affecting everyone you meet and everyone who hears and reads your work. I appreciate you and your time immensely. And girl, I'm a hugger too, so look out. (laughs) To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform, and I am deeply committed to diversifying my content to create a more inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart and soul, which I am positive it has, please snap a screenshot while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your social media accounts. Please be sure to tag us so that we can personally thank you for it. Keep digging deep. Bring in awareness to the thoughts that you just can't shake. Try something new. Extend gratitude to those who never fail to support you along the way. And I will talk to you next week.